start turning back to 1 John chapter 5. So I was looking at today, I think we've got about four more weeks in John's letters. So, and by that I mean we're going all the way through 2nd and 3rd John. So we've got two more weeks in 1st John, then we're going to go ahead and hit 2nd and 3rd John. Um, and it's going to be good, it's going to be fun. I've really liked this study. Um, I, I think the, the most difficult thing for me as I've been preparing each week for this is, you know, and I think Caleb has probably said this to me a couple of times too, like, it seems like we're saying the same things over and over again. What's the new thing that I'm supposed to say here? What's the new thing that I'm supposed to add here? And we kind of talked about that last week. Like sometimes we just have to say the same things over and over again because we're kind of stubborn people and we tend not to want to just accept it and say, yeah, I get it now. But I think what we're going to talk about this morning is more going to reinforce one of the big points that I, we were making last week. And that was the big point that, that our theology of Jesus matters who Jesus is, that we believe that Jesus is who he has been presented to be in Scripture is vital to everything that we believe. It's vital to everything that we do. If we have a bad picture, and we talked about this last week, we have a wrong picture of who Jesus is. Everything else that we believe falls apart. And so this week, what John is going to give is kind of this confirmation. And again, remember, he's not trying to convince unbelievers to become believers. He's not trying to write a letter to those who are unsaved and say, this is why you should be saved. He is trying to tell the church, he's trying to tell believers, he's trying to tell us to be confident in who Jesus is and what we believe and to be confident in our salvation. And so today he's going to give us six points. That's a lot of points, but it won't take hours and hours, I promise. But he's going to give us kind of six ways that we can feel confident that Jesus is who he has said he is, who the Bible says Jesus is. And so we're going to go ahead and read in 1 John chapter 5. I'm just going to read 6 through 12. Um, we're going to see all of these thoughts, and then we're just going to kind of break them down one by one. So 1 John 5 verse 6 says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that He has borne concerning His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and, that, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And I'm reading that, and even as I'm reading it out loud, I'm like, this is really confusing. Like, there's just lots of words said over and over and over again. And I find myself asking lots of things like, what is he trying to say here? What, what, is this, what does this actually mean? And so, let's just, let's just break it down. He starts in verse 6. This is he who came by the water and the blood. And there are a lot of different things that this could be a metaphor for. And as I was studying, there were a bunch of different things that people were trying to say um, about what this could mean. But the place that I kind of landed, and, and I think what kind of best 
um, fulfills John's goal here. Because, again, John's goal is just to say, here are some things that prove that Jesus is the Son of God. Here are some things that, that testify to the fact that Jesus is who he says he is and who we claim him to be. And he says, he came by the water and the blood. And what does that mean? What, what does the water and the blood represent? Well, after a lot of looking and a lot of thinking about this, the water and the blood kind of represent both kind of bookends to Jesus' ministry. They represent his baptism and his crucifixion. Two really key points in his life and two really key points for us in his life as well, um, which we will talk about. So the first thing that I want to talk about is that, is that his baptism proves that he is the son of God. And this is what John's referring to when he mentions the water. He mentions it three or four times in the first three verses, trying to say he came by the water. Like, like he came as a human, and he actually lived here, and he actually was baptized, and his baptism was important. Um, I mean, we even, even when he was approaching John to be baptized, and we read this when we studied Matthew. I'm going to read parts of it again here in just a second. But, but when he came to be baptized, it seemed weird that he would ask to be baptized, right? Because why are we baptized but to demonstrate that, that we've been raised to new life in Christ and that, that we're no longer walking in sin. And that wasn't a thing for Jesus. But yet, but yet Jesus said, it, it's, 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 it's good that you would baptize me. My Father wants me to be baptized. Because, because in that moment, in that moment when Jesus came up out of the water, and I'm going to read this from Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, um, we get this really clear demonstration that he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. Matthew 3, 16 says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So in that moment, in that moment where Jesus was baptized, he and God the Father and the Holy Spirit used that as a moment to declare that he was a king, to anoint him as the Son of God, who he was. Right? He used that moment to make a big demonstration that this was the moment that was beginning a great work that Jesus was going to work out for the next three years of ministry, ultimately leading to his death on the cross for our sins. But, but this moment is important. And what John is saying in verse 5 is that when he came and we recall that moment, that was, that was God. And we're going to talk more about God the Father testifying that he's the Son in a minute. But that was God the Father saying, look, this is him. I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to become distracted by your theology or your opinions or what your, your pictures of what Jesus is supposed to be. This is him. And he's coming to humbly be baptized before you, which is not the version of the Messiah that you were expecting. But see, here he comes. This is him. Look to him. So Jesus' baptism, that moment demonstrates that he is the Son of God. We go on and he says, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And what John is trying to say here is that Jesus' crucifixion proves that he is the Son of God. This was kind of the final act that completed all the work that began when Jesus began his ministry with his baptism. And at that moment, again, and I think this is so cool that in these, these important moments in Jesus' ministry, that God is making big demonstrations of who he is and the importance of what is going on. 
Again, in Matthew, this is chapter 27, uh, verse 51. It says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. And so in that moment, it wasn't just an act of, of martyrdom. It wasn't just that they were killing Jesus and that was, that was it. This was, this was an important moment in history. This was an important moment for the rest of the world because this was the moment that, that the actual sacrifice that could be made, that would actually atone for our sin, that would actually make a way for us to be brought back into the family of God was accomplished. And God didn't want people to miss it. At that moment of his death, God shook the world, caused darkness to come over the whole world. People were raised. The curtain of the temple was torn. And I think, it, and, and I've always loved that it makes the point that it was torn from top to bottom because, I mean, this was a big, tall curtain. You can't just tear it from the top super easy. Like this had to be the hand of God at work. And he makes this big demonstration to the point that this centurion, who's been sitting there to witness that he died, who was, who was there to make sure that this was accomplished, saw all of these things that were happening and ultimately understood, oh man, this guy really was who he said he was. He really was the son of God. And that moment, like I said, wasn't just an act, it wasn't just an act of, I'm just showing I'm just showing what, what humility looks like and I'm demonstrating all this. No, this was the act where God made a way for us to be forgiven of our sins. John's already talked about it in 1 John chapter 4. He said, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin, to be the replacement, to be the one who could take our sin on Himself. All of those sins that we, that we, that we had been covering up for thousands of years through sacrifices that didn't actually save us from anything, but just kind of got us by till the next time that we sinned. This was the sacrifice that ultimately was required so that we could be saved from our sin, so that we could be cleansed. So in both of these instances, and I, I loved this thought, I'm, I'm stealing this um, from Daniel Aiken, who wrote one of the commentaries that I've been studying. I loved this point because... Because he talks about in both of these situations that bookend Jesus' ministry, his baptism and his crucifixion. John even called him out on it when he said, I, I shouldn't baptize you, you should baptize me. It doesn't make sense that I would baptize you. He said, it makes just as little sense that Jesus would be baptized that he would be killed for the sins of the world. Like, neither of those were places that you would assume that he would be, and yet that was where that was where he went. He didn't belong there. He didn't belong on the cross. But in both instances, he's identifying himself with those of us who need saving. He, when he's being baptized, he's saying, I am here with you in this. I am going through this alongside you. I'm accepting this baptism that, that, that you use to demonstrate your need for me to, to kind of Demonstrate my, my camaraderie, my fellowship with you. And he identifies in our death and our punishment for sin that we deserve when he died on the cross.
But then John goes on to say, and the Spirit is one who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and all these agree. So, so the Holy Spirit proves that He is the Son of God. The truth of the Holy Spirit being spoken to us is what makes what Jesus did make sense, is what, is what gives us the comprehension, the understanding, the ability to really relish what it is that He accomplished on our behalf. And I think it's interesting because he says, all three of these witnesses agree. This kind of calls back to Deuteronomy chapter 19. This is verse 15. It says, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that has been committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. So, so the audience that John is writing to would be familiar with this idea. Having two or three people verify the same truth makes it stand up a whole lot stronger, makes it a whole lot more um, easy to accept. And what he's saying here is all of this is kind of pointing the same direction. He's going to continue building his case, but he's saying, look, I've got these three things that are all saying the same thing, that Jesus was the Son of God. He was fully man, he was fully God, and his sacrifice was, was fully accomplished on the cross to make a way for us to be saved. Like he's saying all of these things are coming together. They're pointing to the same thing. We should, we, should, we should see all of this truth working together and just be, again, made more confident in our love for him and our understanding of who he is and, and our confidence in who he says he is. Right? We, should, we shouldn't doubt some of the details or some of the, the little things that he says about him or that the Bible says about him. We, should, we shouldn't waver. We should, we should confidently walk forward saying, this is Jesus. This is who he is. He is who he says he is. Let's go ahead and move on. Verse 9. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes the son, in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. So, so what John is trying to do here, he's trying to make a little bit of like a lesser to greater argument. He's trying to say, if you believe what people are saying about Jesus, if you hear these things and you believe it, We'll know that, that God, the Father, the creator of everything, the one, the one who established all the rules about how all of this universe works, and, and he, created, he created all the animals and the people and the solar system and all of these, like, all of these amazing things, says it as well. He says this is who Jesus is, and he's saying, if you'll believe what, what the guy next to you says about Jesus, if you'll believe the testimony that somebody else about Jesus, even more so you should believe what God is saying about him. And to me, I kind of also go back to saying, I think he's saying you can have confidence in what the word of God says about Jesus, right? So, so if somebody, and, and we've, we've said this before, we believe this whole book. We believe that this whole book is helpful to us, beginning to end. There's no part that becomes irrelevant just because our culture has changed. There's no part of it that isn't helpful to us anymore. And I think what he's trying to say here is that, that this is the greater testimony. Than, I mean, yes, if I tell you about Jesus, that's really good. But anything that I'm saying, I'm saying because I'm, I'm getting it out of this book. I'm getting it from the Father. And what he's saying is that is a, such a stronger 
a stronger demonstration of who Jesus is. If the word of God is that Jesus is his son, if the word of God is that Jesus is perfect sacrifice, if the word of God is that Jesus is any of these things that we could study about who Jesus is, any of this theology that we could really get deep into, that is such a stronger evidence for it than just, just our word. And he says, to, to, not, to not accept it, to not believe it, to, to reject the truth that God is presenting is essentially to call God a liar. To, to take a softened version of who Jesus is, or to say, I don't like all of what the Bible says, I think some of it isn't relevant to us anymore, and to throw it out. To take pieces of who Jesus is and, and, and allow them to be shifted, or to take pieces of the gospel and allow them to be softened is basically to look God in the face and call him a liar. Because, because this whole word is the word of God. And God says, I don't change. This is who I am. This is what I say. And so, and, and, and we talked about this last week, like our theology of Jesus, our, our understanding of what the Bible says, all of this is still vital to us every day. There's no point where we say, all right, you know what? Some of that stuff in Leviticus isn't helpful to us anymore, so we're just gonna, we're gonna ignore Leviticus. Leviticus, we're done with. We don't need it anymore. We don't, we don't need some of those minor prophets. They were writing to really specific people at a really specific time for a really specific cause. We don't need those anymore. Besides, they're really hard to find in the Bible. So we'll just, we'll just ignore those. We'll just stick with, we'll just stick with like the New Testament stuff that's a lot easier to understand and makes us feel a whole lot better about ourselves. To do that, what John is saying is to, to, to take any piece of the truth that he has, that he has testified about himself or about his son is to call God a liar. It's not just, it's not you're just neutral. There is no neutral position. There is either, there is either for God and chasing after him or, or hostile to God and fighting against him. Those are our positions. I could throw in the rhetorical, which one are you there if I wanted to, which I guess I did. Theology matters, and, and we should take the word of God, and I, think, and I think this is interesting. It's here in verse 10. It's still in verses 9 and 10. Oh, yeah. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. Like, like what God says is true trumps what any person says is true. Are we okay with that? We okay with that idea that anything that God says is is better. Anything that God says is 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 more right than anything that we would come up with on our own. Now, granted, I'm saying from the church side, we're hopefully saying the same things that God says. So everything that we're saying is point is, is actually being given credit back to God. But anything that somebody says, and I think this is this is helpful for us, especially in our culture today, where where we are more and more becoming a minority voice in our culture. And there are more and more people who will say, you know, I mean, pick, pick all of your various smart people t terms, your philosophers, your, your scientists, your really crazy psychologists, which I can say because mom is one. But like, like all of these people have reasoned arguments for why God should not be a thing, why you should not care about who he is, or why it doesn't make sense. This, like to say, you know what? Science has, has bypassed the Bible. We know better how these things work now. We always go back and say, nope, 
don't care what you think your science says, the Bible is what is true. Which is a very offensive and unpopular opinion to take today. And, and we will be ridiculed for it. We will be cast aside. We will be treated as if we have no sense. We will be treated as unintelligent. We will be treated as closed-minded. We will be treated as whatever sort of word you want to use to describe how the culture tends to reject those who say, I see what you're saying, and I know you've got a lot of degrees that say that you should be really smart about this stuff. But what you're saying doesn't line up with the testimony of God the Father. And his testimony is stronger than yours. So I'm going to go with his. It's not going to be popular. We still side with the Father. Next point. He says that our conversion proves that he is the Son of God. And this is... And this is verse 11. And this is the testimony concerning this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Romans 8:16 says the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The fact that we have been saved, the fact that we have been changed, the fact that we have a new heart, the evidence the evidence of looking back on who we have been Right? I think we were talking about this in our community group last week. Like, how helpful hindsight is. The more hindsight we get, the easier it is to just trust that God is right in all things. Because we have more and more instances in our lives where we can look back and say, I doubted him, turned out he was right. I should have just listened the first time. Right? And the more experiences like that that we have, and we can look back on more and more things and say, yep. I really should have thought that through. Or, yep, I really should have obeyed. Or, yep, he really was right. If you, just, if you just humble yourself and pray and ask me to take care of it, I will take care of it. I will answer your prayers, right? The more hindsight we see, the more hindsight we acquire, the easier it is for us to look back and see that, that, that our salvation, the, the drastic change that was made in our hearts, when, when God saved us, when God gave us a new set of desires, a new set of passions, a new set of directions, a new place to go, a new place to walk, all of these things, like we just read in, verse, in, in Romans 8, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. Like we feel it. We know we are a new creation. We are the children of God. And that is testimony in itself that Jesus really is who he says he is. The best evidence that we get that we can trust who Jesus is, is what has happened within us when he died and when he saved us. The life change that we have experienced confirms that Jesus is who he says he is. And I know that that's not always going to be a helpful argument. And most of these aren't going to be a helpful argument if you're trying to share the gospel with somebody. And I just wanted to stop right there and just remind you that that's not the point of what John's trying to say. He's trying to build up confidence within the church that he is who he says he is, and that we can step com forward confidently trusting him more. And I think there's no more helpful a point that he can make than that he says, look at your salvation. Look at your life now, and look at your life from before. 
Look at your life before you knew these things and look at how much you have been changed. Look at how much you have grown. Look at the difference that God has made in your life and let that fill you with confidence as you move forward that Jesus is who he says he is. So that when he gives us these commands like, he, like we've been studying for the last few weeks, that we should obey all of God's commandments and we should, we should stay away from sin and we should love each other really well. And then like last week when he makes the point you know, this is going to be true of you and it's going to be easy for you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to not be burdensome for you anymore. You are going to overcome the world. When we hear those kinds of promises, we're able to confidently say, oh yeah, that is going to happen for me because I know that he's been faithful in my life up to this point, especially when I look back and see what he's done for me since he saved me. Right? That's what John is trying to say. He's trying to say, all of these things, I want to fill you with this sense of, I can accomplish any of these things that Jesus says I will. I want you to feel confident in what I am doing. That's what he's trying to say. And this last point that he makes, I think, this was probably the hardest one for me to kind of wrap my brain around. How do you, how do you teach this one? But he says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And, and, and the point that he's kind of trying to make is that, that our eternal life proves that he is the Son of God, which, which right now is not super helpful to you because you are not existing in eternity currently. But, but someday, when your time here is done and you are existing in eternity, the fact that you are existing eternally with the Son of God as, as an heir of God, one, one of Jesus' family members, a son or daughter of the Father, when that day comes, that, that you get to live eternal life is, demonstra is demonstrative of the fact that Jesus is the Son of God and that he has accomplished all that he said he would. Like, that's the final victory. That moment when we get to the glorification piece at the end, where we're with him forever and ever always, and it's amazing, and we're probably wearing, like, white robes and singing, I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. Anybody? Pledge allegiance to the Lamb? No? Um, you should, I bet, I guarantee you that video is on YouTube somewhere. You should go watch it. It's awful. <laughs> but awesome. Uh, but, but the fact that we have been made to exist with Jesus forever demonstrates who he is. And so, and like I said, this is kind of hard to explain right now because none of us are in that. Yet, by virtue of our salvation, we're already made for that. We're, our, our, our souls are already knit together with Jesus in such a way that, that we are made to be eternal. And like I said, with, with our conversion, our salvation kind of demonstrating who he is, and we can look back, this is that we can look forward with hope knowing that that's what we're destined for. This is the point that he's trying to make. That, that no longer are we, are we walking around dead people, but we've been made alive. We've been given life. We've been given hope. We can look forward and say, this is going somewhere. I get to be with Jesus forever. And that's an amazing, amazing thought. That's something that should be driving us forward. That's something that should be filling us with confidence, knowing that, that no matter what the next thing may be that happens for me, I know there is something great for me beyond that because that's what Jesus has given me. That's, that's the hope that we have been filled with. The presence of hope within us is the evidence that Jesus is who he says he is. Because, because without Jesus, we had no hope. This, this was just going to end for us, and it was going to be bad, and there was nothing that we could do. But the fact that Jesus 
has come and the fact that Jesus did die and the fact that Jesus has saved us, the fact that he has made us new creations, he has changed who we are, and the fact that we can look through this whole book and see this whole testimony of who he is and be amazed at how true it is and how consistent it is and how faithful God the Father has been fills us with all this confidence so that when John gives us all of these marching orders, these go out and, and do all of the commands that I have given you. Go out and, and stay away from the sin of the world. Don't pursue those, those, those desires that you once had. Go out and love each other well. Love each other well within the church. Love people well outside the church. I mean, we've said this. That's probably one of the biggest reasons that we picked this book for our church to study because we wanted, as a church, for all of us to get better at just loving people. Just get better at loving people in the church and loving people that we come across outside of the church. but we can confidently know that we're going to get there because of what Jesus has already done in our lives, because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, because of the hope that he has filled us with. And so if you hear nothing else this morning, then I want you to hear that. If you are saved, you have nothing to fear. Jesus is exactly who he says he is. And he has hopefully, hopefully you have recognized what he has already done in your life changed you in some miraculous way that you can look back on and become more resolute in, yes, this is where I am supposed to be. This is the Jesus that I, that I first fell in love with and I still confidently follow after him to wherever that may take me, whether it's just down to CRC every week, whether that's to some family in my neighborhood that I want to reach out to, whether that's to somebody in my office that I work with, whether that's just, whether that's, selling everything you have and moving halfway around the world. Whatever that may be, whatever that calling could be, you can do that, you can step forward into that with confidence, no hesitation, because Jesus is who he says he is. Let's pray.